0: Well, good morning, Village Church. Good to see you this morning. (laughs) Thank you, I hear that way in the back. Uh, My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm a part of the church plant that we're doing uh, here at Village Church of Bartlett. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about life roles, and we've uh, talked about husbands, and we've talked about wives, and today we're going to be picking up with the roles of family. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 has to deal, uh, has to talk about families and how families work together. It starts with children, and then it moves to parents, and then it talks about, in particular, fathers. The examples that we have around us of uh, families and um, uh, examples that we would follow that would produce family style leadership, for the most part in our world, interestingly enough, are not always good. I don't know if that's been your, your uh, experience. It certainly has been mine. As a matter of fact, um, we're gonna talk about more, more about that. And I, 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 as I was planning this message, trying to find good examples, bad examples became very prominent. Good examples became hard to find. The message that we're talking about today, dealing with uh, family picks up directly from Ephesians 5.21. This is a passage that kind of begins us on the journey of how a family functions. And from Ephesians 5.21, it says, submit therefore one one to another out of reverence for Christ. From there we go to how a wife submits to her husband, how how a husband really loves his wife, submits to her, submitting to one another, how children now today submit to their parents and how um, fathers submit to God. This is a common, um, this theme of submission is the common theme that takes us all the way through how a functional society is meant to work. So I wanted to call this message, the path to a, and I crossed out the dysfunctional, but the path to a functional family, because dysfunction is usually what we see. I don't know about you, but if I were to survey in here, I'm guessing If I were to ask you how many dysfunctional families you've seen, I imagine you could probably fill up the list pretty good. But if I were to ask you how many functional families have you seen, I wonder how long the list would be. So I started thinking to myself, well, how can I illustrate this? And I thought, you know what I should do? I should look on TV. So, Because at least, at least when we come home at the end of the day, if our own family's is dysfunctional, and if the families we see around us are dysfunctional, then surely when we come home and we sit down and we watch TV, we will see functional families. True or false? Oh my goodness. So I started, I literally, I started looking at all these dysfunctional families and I, I was gonna just put picture after picture and there was too many. There was too, I don't think there's enough gigabytes in the, uh, in the system for me to put how many families there are that are dysfunctional that we see on a regular basis. Not only around us, but also on TV. And then I thought, okay, I got one good example. The Cosby family, they would be a good example. And then I started thinking, well, they've been in the news recently, so I don't wanna wanna mar the message with that. I, I know. John's laughing in the back. I know. Instead of giving you all the examples of a dysfunctional family, which you can easily come up with and see on your own, let me give you the bestest example of a functional family that I can give you. It's in four verses, the four verses that we're looking at today, and it is a concise, easy to understand, easy format to follow, pathway that we can follow in order to have a functional family. Look in your Bibles in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 1. We're going to read this through this morning, and hopefully it'll come alive for us as we go through our time. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is a powerful passage of scripture. It's concise, It's direct, it's a four-verse recipe for successful parenting. And if we as a church would get our minds wrapped around the truths that are found in these verses, we would find the pathway to have a functional family. Now I understand in in a crowd this size, there are gonna be lots of examples of dysfunctional families. You may be in a dysfunctional family. You may be leading a dysfunctional family or you may have just come out of a dysfunctional family. Let me say to you right off, there are things that you can do in order to make that situation better, but it always begins with you. We're gonna be talking about a little bit about that uh, this morning. My, my abilities this morning it cannot be to fix the dysfunction that you have had in your family, that you have had growing up. I, I cannot fix that. I can't fix the situation that you're in now if you're in a dysfunctional situation now. But what I can do is through God's word and the authority that is found in God's word, I can give you a pathway that you could begin to follow that would lead you toward a functional family. I can offer you a change of direction so that the insanity can stop with you. Let me also say that if you're in a situation where, where you've been broken or, or people have been broken around you because of the family situation you've either grown up in or you're in now, uh, the truths of God's word are there so that they can be applied to your life as salve ointment that will heal and my hope is that you will hear that this morning. If you hear something different, let me encourage you to put a a question into the Q&A podcast. Uh, And and even if there's like something that I don't mention this morning, because there's no way I can cover the full aspects of family in four verses in, in, uh, in 40 minutes, it can't be done. So if there's something that I miss, or there's something that needs further explanation, let me encourage you to fill out a a question and answer for the Q&A podcast, and and we'll get to it uh, in in the Q&A podcast. This is a huge subject, but we need to begin somewhere. And so the way I wanna begin this is I wanna give you three simple questions. The first is, does God care if my family's falling apart? Is this something that's even on his radar? Okay, he loves me, but my family's screwy. Does he really care that my family is falling apart? Let me first of all say this, God created us in order to operate in the paradigms of families. This is God's will, this is how it all began. Adam and Eve, God made them a family. He brought the husband, or literally, he brought the wife to the husband and they became a family. Then they had kids and their kids, you know, you got Abel and you got Cain. What a vast difference and then they had kids, and then they had kids. It's interesting to me that the first place we experience authoritative structures or authority uh, uh, centers is within our homes. Your and my understanding of how authority works or how I relate to my boss or how I relate to my teacher or how I relate to my neighbor, a lot of that is first and foremost learned in the first center of authority that I experience, and that's my family. If you have kids, you are giving them their first glimpse into what an authority paradigm looks like. We take our cue from that, and so when we grow up, we have a tendency to imitate what we grow up seeing. Let me encourage you that if that's your case and it's not working, consider change. Consider doing things God's way. I'm gonna do the best I can in the short amount of time that I, I can to both prompt you to do that and give you some ways that you can begin God makes families. It's what he does. God gives families children. God gives moms and dads children. God gave you to your mom and dad, and he wants those families to grow, to thrive. It's his will that there would be strong families. So he gives us direct instructions in his word in how we are to build strong families. Directions for moms, directions for dads, and directions for children. The key to following all of these instructions is the word that we've been parking on over these last few weeks, which is the word submission. Now submission is a dangerous word in our culture today, I understand that. Submission though, if we could erase what we've heard about submission and look at it in God's economy, submission is actually a very good thing. Michael has already done a wonderful job of explaining to us how there's even submission in the Godhead. The Son submits to the Father, the Spirit submits to the Son. Even in Jesus' famous high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus uh, Jesus is praying and he talks about the Holy Spirit speaking words that would come not from himself, but from Jesus Christ. There's a submission in the Godhead. Submission is not something that makes us less. It's something that makes us into who God wants us to be because it portrays him in a more clear way. Submission, therefore, is the key to establishing a strong family unit. And so we've we've defined submission in God's uh, terms. Alex uh, did a great job of of preaching this and beginning us on on this uh, journey from Ephesians 5.21 where it says to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. This is the the, uh, definition that we've been working with, a willful and joyful setting aside of preference in honor of each other, out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Good definition. All submission, therefore, the submission that I give to somebody else is out of reverence for Jesus Christ and in honor preferring somebody else over myself. And the application of family submission, how submission goes on in a family, is still using this definition, but the application is a little bit different. We're gonna be talking about that as well. As we did with wives, we must also warn, uh, put warnings out about submission. Children are to submit to their parents, but their parents might be a bonehead. If that's the case, should children still submit to their parents? Ah, tough, isn't it? You want to say yes, but you're thinking, I know what a bonehead is, so I'm not sure if I should say yes. Children are required to submit to their parents because they don't do it based on the grade their parents get at parenting. They do it because of their submission, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ. Parents, however, are not to lord their authority over their children and use submission, use the fact that their kids should submit to them in a way that throws their kids off balance. Parents have more responsibility on their shoulders because they are the example of submission to their children. Their children should see them submitting to one another, moms and dads, and their children should see them submitting to God. If that's happening, the children will understand this definition of submission, and that will be the submission that we look for, that God looks for in a Christian family. Our world does not understand this. The minute we come out of the womb, we experience, we experience anarchy. And so we make up rules based on what we think it should be when the whole time it's, it's a little bit askew. In the Roman days, they had a law for Roman fathers. It was called the power of the father or patria potestis. And the way that this read is a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for law was in his own hands. And he could punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life, so long as the father lived. How many of you would love to live in the Roman world? How many of you would love your dad as as best as you possibly could in the Roman world? Well, that is because this law was based on a faulty understanding of what it means to rule over your household. Fathers manipulated their children into obedience. So children were scared to death. If they didn't obey, this would be their outcome. In fact, this was taught from the very beginning that the father had this kind of power if a mother had a, a child and the father, the, the father would be there and then the father, they would carry on this ceremony that if the father went and picked up the newborn baby, that baby would be accepted into his household like one of his own family. But if the mother had the child and the father turned his back and walked the other way, that child could then be abandoned because that child would not be a part of the father's family. The child, therefore, would have two options. The first option is that child would be picked up by a flesh trader, raised up to a certain age, and then be used in sex trafficking or as slaves. As slaves, They could buy and sell these children. The second option is that child could be taken by the parents, and they could be put out into a field and left to die. Exposure to the elements. The decision to reject this child could be made basically, uh, based on anything from physical challenges that it would place on the family to societal reasons or even to financial strain. A parent did not have to accept that child. The father could reject it. Now, lest we be too harsh on the first century Romans, let me give you one statistic that you may not be aware of. In a survey done from the Alan Guttmeyer Institute, this is Planned Parenthood's own survey team, in a survey of 1,200 women at 11 of the most popular abortion clinics on reasons why women were getting an abortion, we are told on a regular basis that we should allow, we should allow abortion because it is, uh, it, it, it's for the women's health uh, or what about rape victims, we hear about that. You don't hear statistics. So let me give you real statistics from Planned Parenthood's own questionnaires that they send out. The reason why women get an abortion are risk to women's health, 0.9%. That's how many abortions take place because of a woman's health. Rape. The amount of abortions that take place due to rape is 0.9%. 3%. However, the reasons why other abortions take place, 88% of all abortions take place because a child would be too inconvenient, too expensive, or too difficult to cope with. We don't hear those statistics. We look at the Roman world and we think, why would a father turn his back on a child after the child was born? Why, who could be so cruel? How could a society be so harsh? And yet, if we believe that God creates life in the womb, if we believe that when a heart stops beating, that's the end of life, why do we not believe that when a heart starts beating, that's the beginning of life? If that's the case, I wonder how history will judge us. When we live out the gospel for Jesus Christ, we are meant to stand firm, stand firmly in stark contrast with society around us. We are not meant to do family as we observe the world doing family. That is meant to be foreign to us because God renews our mind and to make it into something that looks a lot like him. And as that takes place, the way we do family ourselves, the way we view family ourselves, the way we view life ourselves, that is necessarily going to change. Followers of Jesus Christ do not operate in authority paradigms like the world they see around them. Like Michael said last week, almost everything that comes natural to you about authority structures is necessarily flawed. And I would say almost everything that comes to us naturally about parenting is almost always flawed because it comes naturally to us through our fallen minds and through our fallen nature. Our natural instinct in raising and growing our children has been influenced by the fall. And so our natural instinct is not to communicate love and grace at every turn. Our natural instinct kicks in when, even when we're parenting, just like it kicks in all in, in every other thing that we do. Let me ask you, when your kids disobey you, is your first response to love them and to, 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 to hug them and to, and to bless them and to, and to reward them and to, and, and to encourage them? Or is your first reaction to, why are you so dumb? Why do you do this? Why would you pick up gum and eat it off the sidewalk? That is the dumbest thing I've ever seen why did you hit your sister in the face? Because she hit me first, I understand, but why did you do it back to her? And then, and then you tell your kid to do something and say, well, the first two words a kid never has to learn but is in common with every single kid that is born, the first two words, the first one is no, right? You tell your kids to do something and they go, I will consider that father, yes I will. Their first con- their first response is no and the other word you don't have to teach any child is the word mine yeah the seagulls mine 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 every kid knows that word i i that yeah I, I've, you remember Solomon when he had the baby and he decided to, you know, it'd be better. He did, two women were arguing about who the baby was. And so he said, well, let's divide the baby in half and give one to both. And, and the, the one mother said, yeah, do that. I don't care. And then the other woman said, no, no, no. And then he knew who the real mother was. My kids were arguing about this little toy once and they were going, mine, mine, mine. And I had had it with these kids. It's a little Barbie. Uh, they're not here right now, so I can talk about them since they're not here this little Barbie telephone. And I thought, I'm gonna gonna do Solomon. I'm gonna do Solomon right here. So I walked in the garage with a hammer and beat the living daylights out of this Barbie phone. And then I said, there you go, there's your phone. And they're just crying and crying. It didn't exactly work like it should have in my mind, but they still remember that story. I'm hoping it comes out in a good instance and not in a bad one. Our natural inclination on how we do parenting is naturally flawed. Like one comedian uh, that shall remain nameless, he would always talk about his kids, and he said, uh, he, would, he would talk to his kids. I remember this one line that he used. He said, the way I grow up my kids is I always tell them, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. That is not proper parenting. <laughs> that is threats and manipulation, And if we are to have family as God intends for us to have family, we must renovate our minds according to God's word. In the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there are plethora of direct verses that tell us how to raise our children and how children relate to their parents. God doesn't leave us hanging here. And then he gives us lots of illustrations of how it was done badly and how it could be done in a good way. The kingdom God established is meant to be built on a working family first. And that is why the first verse I wanna take you to in Ephesians uh, six is the one that talks about fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First question, fathers, do you see any aspect of submission in this verse at all? I do. Fathers, who are you to submit to in how you raise your children? You are to submit to God. You don't get to choose how you raise your children. You must raise them in a submissive attitude as God wants you to raise them. So you don't get to choose Dr. Phil. You don't get to choose Dr. Spock. You must look at God's word and you must bring these children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God's word is our manual for how we parent our children. There's no choice here. It's an act of submission on the father's part. And so my question is, why are dads referred to here? Why why is it that this is at dad's doorstep? Because, quite frankly, in God's plan for our family, fathers, you are the one that is responsible to God for how your family grows. You are the gatekeeper. You are to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That doesn't mean that every every time they need discipline, you're the guy that does it. It can be the wife. It should be the wife and the husband working together. Every day doesn't need to be wait till your father gets home. Sometimes that might work really well. But God intends for two people to work together, moms and dads, in raising their children. But it's the dad that gives direction to the house and how the house will grow and what will be taught in the house. And so the husband presents his wife to God, as we've already Discovered, the husband one day will stand in front of God and will say, This is my wife. I am to remove every obstacle that would cause her to stumble, and I am to replace it with everything that I can to present her holy and blameless to God. That's a husband's job. Well, dad's, the, hus- the father's job is the same deal. One day we will stand before God and he won't call our wives out and say, How come your kids are so screwy? He's going to call you out and he's going to say, Why didn't you give your kids all the instruction that I gave you? that would help them live and grow and prosper in the world around them. That's our jobs, dad. And the the wife comes alongside and, and we agree together, husbands and wives agree together that this will be our format to follow and we work together as a team to grow our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Then we go to verse one and we talk about Children, as fathers submit to the authority of God in raising their children, so do children submit to the authority of their parents as they grow up. Children obey your what? Parents in the Lord. Why? I love this. It's like four words. For this is right. End of the story. Children want to know why you should obey your parents in the Lord? Because it's the right thing to do. There's no other option here. This is correct. And if you don't do it this way, you will have hard times ahead of you. Why do children have such a hard time submitting to their parents? Well, because of the sin nature. After the fall, rebellion became the norm. It becomes naturally to children It it becomes so natural that they don't need to be taught how to be bad, they need to be taught how to to be good. And the only way they can have that is if you, the parents, teach them. And your manual is here. That is how a family is meant to function. Now, lest you think that, okay, well, I'm not a child anymore, I'm an adult. That may be true in word only. Because ultimately, even as adults, Don't we continually need instruction and teaching in the way of the Lord? As we learn, so we pass on to our children. And our prayer is that our children pass it on to their children. Obey in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Oh, yeah, honor your father and mother. This is a word that means uh, in the in the Hebrew it's kabod. it's it's this it's this word it literally means weight and so when we honor our parents uh, it means that we give them weight not in a bad way all right but we give them weight in our lives so that they become they become a, a, the first thing that we think about when we think about um. Our lives, the first thing that we think about when we think about making choices or decisions. We give them weight. If they give advice to us, we listen to them because they have weight in our world. We honor our parents. And the reason we do so is because this is one of the 10 commandments. It is actually the fifth one. It's also interesting that Paul pulls on this old idea of commandments. He pulls this from the Old Testament from Deuteronomy chapter five. The first four commandments deal with our relationship to God, right? Worship the Lord your God, no, no images, uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain, keep the Sabbath holy. Our relationship to God. The last six have to do with our relationship in society. Don't go killing people, uh, don't bear false witness, don't covet, don't take your father or your husband's or your, your neighbor's wife, uh, don't steal. These are the, these are the last six. But in the middle, there's a hinge. In the middle is the fifth commandment. And you know what the fifth commandment is? Honor your father and mother. Why is that the hinge? It's because a child can understand how they relate to God, but the first place that they will begin seeing how that is demonstrated is with their mom and dad. It is in the family structure. And once they get that, once they understand how that's done in their family, that's how they're going to operate in society. You want to bring up a child that respects the police? You respect the police. You want to bring up a child that disrespects their teachers? You disrespect people around you, especially authoritative structures. You want to bring up a child that tithes on a regular basis and gives to the poor and meets the needs of those around them? You tithe, you give to the poor, you meet the needs of those around you. Children are like little sponges. They're like little imitators and what they see is what they will likely end up doing. And so the fifth command, honor your parents, is to children because because it is that structure, that family structure, that helps them, molds them into the person they will be to carry on throughout society. And so it's, it's, it's to children. It's not only to children, but it's also to adults. Because when do we stop honoring our parents? Obedience might stop at some point when we have children of our own. But when do we stop honoring our parents? Never. Not even till death. Uh, even after death. It's also interesting that he pulls on this Deuteronomy 5 passage because it occurs to me that while Moses was getting the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, do you remember this? He's getting these Ten Commandments, and now this is to the children honor your father and mother. He is talking about fathers and mothers that are at the foot of Sinai, and what are they doing at the foot of Sinai? They're dancing and they're worshiping a golden calf, they are disobedient to God. They are not worthy of honor. They are sinning. And yet God gives this command to them and he wa- Moses walks down the command and he says to all these moms and dads, listen, your children are supposed to honor you and obey you. We all know you're complete losers because you're gonna all get judged for what you've just done. But the command stands. It's interesting to me that that same situation applies to us because it's very easy for us to say, I don't need to honor my parents because they're morons. Or I don't need to honor my parents because they're bad people. Or I don't need to honor my parents because they're hypocrites. It's very easy for us to do that. And yet if we looked at where this commandment came from, God is giving this commandment to children whose parents are on God's black list. In fact, none of those parents would enter into the promised land. But the command came to the children because those parents better get their, their gear together. They've got to train those children up to understand the economy of God, to understand who God is and their responsibility to him. Or when they get into the promised land, they will build a society that will crumble. They've got to build a society based on the fear of God using his word as their guide, guidepost in how they have their own children in the society that they build. So, the purpose of honoring your parents is not necessarily because they deserve it, but it's because God commands it. Why? Because it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So one little uh, sidebar to that. Children, do you know what it means that it may go well with you? When you disobey your parents, how does it go with you? Not so well. When you obey your parents, how does it go with you? Yeah, hopefully a little better, right? That's, that's what that means. If you obey your parents, it will go well with you. And then, of course, attached is that, that you may live long in the land in reference to Deuteronomy chapter five in the promised land. Children, you have a role to obey your parents that never ends. Obedience to your parents at some point, uh, it, it is not negotiable when you're younger, but at some point it becomes negotiable when you begin a life or a family of your own, but the honor never stops. And again, not because they deserve it, but because God commands it. Now, uh, let me make one more connection before we jump off this. We have just talked about wives and husbands. Wives are to respect their husbands, not because their husband is a 10, but because God commands it. Same key for this one is true for children and parents. Second question, if I do family my way, what real damage could that do? Well, we must follow God's plan to, 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 find, uh, to realize a successful family. Fathers and mothers, moms and dads are essential for productive families. And it's critical that they work together. Let me give you some stats you may not know. Fathers are essential for um, for constructing this and making sure that this family functions together, but both parents, moms and dads, are supposed to be in this team, on a team together. If a child grows up in a household where there's not a father, things will go askew, usually. Here's some stats you probably are not told on a regular basis. One in three children right now grow up in a family without a father. And That's probably true for a lot of you as well. That may have been your situation, growing up in a family without a dad. If that's the case, those children are four times more likely to live in poverty. They are more likely to commit crime. They are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They are twice as likely to drop out of school. And in prison, one out of every five prison inmates grew up in a family with a father, one out of every five. So the majority of inmates grew up in families without dads. That is why the decline of civilization, guys, fathers, men, the decline of civilization largely lies at our feet. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse six says, "'Train up a child in the way he should go, "'and even when he's old, he will not depart from it.'" This is a joint effort. But fathers, we need to understand the weight of the responsibility that lies upon our shoulders to do things according to the way God wants us to do them in our family. Here's one more thing. If fathers and mothers attended church regularly, in homes where fathers and mothers attend church regularly, 33% of children are likely to become regular church attenders. If a mother goes to church without the father, Do you know what that number reduces down to? 2%. If a a mother goes without the dad, there's a likelihood in 2% will become regular church attenders. That's 98% of children will drop off. Now get this. If the father attends without the mother, the stats actually go up. 44% of children are likely to become full-time church attenders if their dad takes them, but not their mom. That is why the weight of this command is, thir- is completely laid at the feet of the dads. Fathers, we are responsible for the direction that our houses go. Both parents are responsible. Don't get me wrong. Both parents are in it as a team effort because children will imitate what they see. But dads, the weight is on our shoulders. Uh, by the way, if we would see this as Ephesians 5 and verse one puts it, Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I love that verse because it says, To us as adults, be imitators of God. You want to know how to do this right? Imitate God. And you know what imitation looks like? Well, it looks a lot like what a child does. A child imitates their moms and their dads, just like we are to imitate God. The example that Paul gives is the example of a child because children are known to imitate what they see. So parents imitate Christ and they will see him. One more part of that statistic, if neither father nor mother go to church, if neither father and mother make church attendance a priority in their lives, 80% of their children will never become regular church attenders and they'll never realize the joy that can be found in a church family. So when I make God's plan my plan for family, I stand a better chance of producing a strong family unit. Now, there are some difficulties in these, and I I, I need to say these as well. The difficulties in in following this command is that we all grow up in a fallen world. And so I'm very aware that obeying parents runs into a lot of challenges because parents can sometimes be not imitators of Christ, they are fallen individuals. And so if you've grown up in a home or you've had a, a situation in your family where you feel like you haven't had a good example, you, you haven't uh, seen God in your parents, or, or maybe it's been an abusive situation where your parents have, have hurt you emotionally, physically, and mentally, it's, they do so because they're fallen. There's no excuse for it. You're just getting a, a, a fire hose of fallen nature and it's at your home. Let me just tell you, if that's your situation, it does not mean that you need to obey them when they disobey Christ. It means that you need to go find some help. It means that you need to talk to somebody that's spiritual, somebody that can, that can help you understand God's word because part of honoring your parents might be, helping, might be getting them some help that they need. And so it doesn't mean if your parents tell you to disobey God that you should disobey God. It means that you might need to get some counsel, some godly counsel along the way so that you can honor your parents. Seeking help is honoring your parents. God does not take pleasure in abusive households. What if your parent is a example of distant or vacuous love? I'm sorry that you had to experience that. Unfortunately, you're not alone. Lots of people have grown up in families where they've not felt loved or where they've been hurt because of distant parents. Let me tell you, your example may not be the fallen parents that you live with. Your example to follow may not be them. It definitely should be Christ. This can turn around, but don't look to your parents as to be the examples of Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. And number three, if your example of parenting has been a mom or dad who does not fear God or teach about him or follow his word, uh, just say the same thing. Just because you've had bad examples of growing uh, when you're growing up doesn't mean that you have to be a bad example. God loves renovating. He loves changing things. In fact, that's what redemption is all about, taking something that's crushed, broken, or destroyed and making it into something strong, powerful, and influential for the kingdom of God. Ultimately, God is our example of a perfect father. Let him be your example as well last question. If I allow God to renovate my family, if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Craig, I'm willing to give it a try. I'm thinking about letting God renovate my family. If that's the case, what can I expect? What really is going to change? Well, I'm here to tell you everything. But first of all, you. Parents and children, our voluntary submission to the roles we play stand in stark contrast to the society around us. It is not society's job to tell us how a family should operate. They have failed. They failed to the point where they know they can't fix it so much that now they put it on TV and it becomes a regular point of, of derision that we laugh at because every one of us knows this seems to be a problem that can't be fixed. I'm here to tell you that is a lie. The truth of God is that there can be functional families that are built on the truth of God's word. And they, can, they will necessarily look a whole lot different from the world in which we live. Just like the church stood out in Ephesus, the Ephesian church would go to the places where these babies were abandoned, or they would go to the slave places where these babies were sold in the flesh trade. And the Ephesian church took it upon themselves to Uh, pick up and adopt these babies as their own. This is why one of the themes of Ephesians is the word adoption because the Ephesian church understood this. None of society would live up to their responsibility as parents. They'd follow the Roman uh, uh, harsh laws of fathers and mothers. And because of that, children were disregarded or abandoned. And the, the Ephesian church came along and they gave value and dignity and love to these children who were abandoned. That is the way we are meant to function as well. The church is meant to put the society on trial, not society put the church on trial. We are to stand out because we do it as to the Lord. We take our marching order from God. And so we are to obey our fathers because they are the fathers God gave to us. We are to submit to our parents because those are the moms and dads God gave to us. We are to honor them because this is right and that's it. And children, we are to be kind of children that God would be pleased of until we die, because this, these are the parents that God gave to us. And parents, these are the children God gave to you. I wish, you know, you may wish that away, but your children are your children. Give them a good example to follow. It's never too late to begin. God is always about redeeming lives. In fact, redeeming things. God makes things that are broken into things that are stronger than they were when they were first made, and God does that with our lives as well. It's never too late to start. Try to see the bigger picture. Parenting is a lifelong endeavor. It doesn't end with, uh, uh, at a certain age. It is a, a lifelong endeavor. That's why in Deuteronomy 6, 6, it says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. In other words, everything that God instructs us on how to be moms and dads, how to be families that please him, all of that are to be with us, whether we're in our leisure time, whether we're at work, whether we're doing stuff with our families, family, whether we, are, um, whether we are going to bed at night, whether we're getting up in the morning, whether we're exiting or entering our houses, we are to be children of God, examples of his, uh, his truth and his ways at all times to our children. It's also interesting that the verse right after this says, and when you enter the land that I promised you. It's interesting to me that this verse Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9, this verse right here is written to the parents that were dancing in front of the golden calf. This was written to parents that were not following God's command and God put them on his blacklist and wiped them out. They would not enter the promised land. It is their children who would enter into the promised land. And yet their children would see their parents flawed as they were and boy, were they flawed to the point where God was gonna knock them off in the wilderness before they saw the promise. They were to still pick up the ball and try and try again. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. It doesn't matter if you've dropped the ball. Welcome to the club. All of us will. Your children still need to see an example today. And that example will give them a future that you could only dream of. It will give them a foundation that they can really build upon. And your hope and my hope is that they see more good examples than bad ones, right? When I was growing up, my dad dropped the ball a lot. I could give you story after story about how my dad was a bad example to me of what a father should be. I choose not to dwell on those things Because to be honest with you, he gave me a lot more good examples on what a father should be. I choose to dwell on those. I have dropped the ball numerous times with my children. My prayer is that they don't remember those as many times as they remember the good examples that I've given to them. One day I was out playing hockey in the street. We're playing with that, you know, those orange hard balls. And the colder it gets, the harder the ball gets. And I was out there playing with my friends, and we're on the street playing hockey. I know that's so weird today. I know, uh, but in those days it was like car, lift the nets off. All right, put the car, put it back. Remember those days? The good old days. I was out playing hockey. I hit a slap shot. It went a riot. It went right through the window of a parked car. Smash. Good slap shot, right? Not anywhere near the goal. I immediately had this feeling in my chest and you've, you probably identify with this where you, you, you literally feel like your heart just sinks down to your gut. I, I thought, oh man, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna be working the rest of my life to pay for this, this car and I, I'll never be able to pay it off. I'm gonna be a servitude to the guy that owns this car. And at that moment, I'm standing there in, in, in singular fear. The guy comes running out of his house. Start screaming, he's an adult, starts screaming at me. I don't know what he was saying, I just remember his face was red, he was screaming at me, and I had these tears just flowing down my cheek. I was scared to death. I did the only thing that, that a child would think of to do in that circumstance, guess what I did? I ran. <laughs> I turned around and I ran as fast as I could to get home. I come in the house, I'm just, my shirt's wet, I'm, I'm, I'm crying, I'm scared to death, my knees are shaking, my dad comes, what in the world happened? I said, I I, I hit a slap shot, dad, I put it right through the car window of some guy and he's he's yelling, I I don't know what, my dad said, don't worry, I'll take care of this. Took me by the hand, he walked me over to this guy's house, knocks on the door and I don't remember what he said to the guy. I, I don't even remember what the guy said to him, I just remember there was a lot of yelling. My dad didn't yell back. And my dad stood between me and a man who wanted to cut my head off and And my dad took the brunt of that. I don't know. I don't remember if he said he'd pay for it. I've asked my dad about this, uh, uh, actually, fairly recently. I said, Dad, do you remember this? He doesn't even remember this. And I I, I said, Dad, you stood between me and certain death. (laughs) He doesn't remember a thing. But I sure remember my dad standing up for me. It was my mistake. It was my fault. It was completely on my shoulders. And my dad looked at me and said, don't worry. We will. I will fix this. And he, whatever he did with the guy, he, he did, and we walked home, and I don't even know how he fixed it after that. All I remember is that day, my dad was a picture of Christ to me like few times, like few top 10 times I can remember in my life. But if I were to sit down and, and talk to you and start reminiscing about the things that I can remember about my dad, I could give you plenty of bad examples, but boy, I could give you a lot of good ones. And I thank God that my dad was the example to me that he was Because that was the foundation he laid for me to be the kind of dad I am today. And so I thank God for my dad. He was the one that led me to the Lord as my dad. So if you're here and you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe it's too late or maybe I can't do it. The the good news is your kids are not going to remember every single episode that you do. The bad news is they'll remember ones you don't. And so our job... Our goal as parents is to give them as many good examples of Jesus Christ as we can possibly give to them because those are the things that they are going to remember. Parenting, it's not something that comes natural to any of us. But the more we imitate Christ, the better parents we will be. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children. You want to change the world? You may never do that. But you can start with your family. You may not be able to change the world and you may not even be able to change your own family like you want. But if you start with you, you'll have a much better chance and you should start today. Let's pray. Father, it occurs to me that in this congregation, there's a lot of good examples of parents, a lot of parents that have sacrificed, imitated you in so many ways. And I thank you for them. I thank you that you have blessed this church and their children with good examples of fatherhood, motherhood, even grandparents. Lord, my prayer is that you would rise up a church that understands this responsibility of being a kind of parent that needs to imitate you so that our children can have better foundations upon which to grow. And Lord, through that, may you change the world. Society needs to see good family units, functional family units. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us how to do that really, really well. Use us as imitators of you to our children. In Jesus' name, amen.